Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume Rx, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Well, hey there. Welcome back to another episode of the Nurse Becoming podcast. It's your host, Amanda Guarneri. I am so happy to be spending some time with you today, and I am especially excited to feature this interview with my friend and improv actor, Sean Sullivan, about how to be a better interviewer. I think that you will really enjoy this episode. It's a little bit different. There are some improv exercises that we do in the episode, and I really like to think of this as cross-training for interviewing. So, cross-training, meaning like if you were a gymnast, you might do your gymnastics most days, but then a couple days a week, maybe you do weight training and it's going to make you a better gymnast, but it's not practicing gymnastics, right? So when it comes to interviewing, I think that there are ways that we can become better interviewers without actually practicing interviewing. Okay, so that is what we're going to talk about in this episode today. And to give you an introduction to Sean, Sean Sullivan, he's a writer and an improviser. He lives in Chicago. He has taught and has been the education director at Theaters in the City and currently serves as a faculty member with the famous Second City. Since 2014, additionally, he's been a contributor for The Onion, the satirical paper known as America's Finest News Source. And I'll put all the links to the show notes to connect with Sean, but you can find more at secondcity.com or theonion.com. So without further ado, let's get into my interview with Sean Sullivan. Hey, Sean, welcome to the show. Hi, Amanda. Good to see you. So we're not recording video, but Sean is making funny faces at me right now. She said, we're about to hit record. And I said, okay. And as soon as I saw the dot turn to record, I just started looking panicked into the camera. Um, And uh, I think that puts everybody on a very easy front foot to get started. (laughs) So Sean, I'd love for you to tell us in your own words, I've already introduced you a bit. Tell us a little bit about your improv and acting story and how you are using these skills beyond just entertaining others. Sure. Um, When I was 10 years old, I I was sick one day, as as 10-year-olds are, and uh, I got to stay home from school. And I watched this show when I was lying in my couch at my parents' house, which was my house then. It's now my parents' house. Uh, But uh, it was an improv show. Whose line is it anyway? It was the British version of that show. And uh, that's an improvised show uh, where the actors uh, don't have a script and they're making things up uh, and they get a suggestion and they uh, do comedy, basically. And I, you know, I watched a lot of comedy and uh, TV and movies as a kid. I was an only child, so I had that ability on the weekends. But uh, that stuck with me. And I was able to take a class when I was like 15 or 16 uh, at uh, like a a teen extended program at Brown University in uh, Rhode Island, which is where I grew up. It was something that just unlocked, I guess now looking back my capacity for it, but then it was my ability to perceive that there was a thing for me. Uh, I think everybody in life has something where they want to find their flock. They want to find their skill or their talent or their joy. 
And that's what it was for me. And I, uh, I went to college in Boston and I continued to do it. Uh, I latched on with a small theater there after I graduated. And then around 2009, I moved to Chicago. I basically said, I want to give this a go. Um, it was right at the, the height of the, the recession. And so in terms of prospects, it seemed like wherever we go, probably going to be about the same. So let's, let's see if we can kind of hit big league pitching. And so I, uh, uh, packed up and headed to Chicago, and I've been a performer here for uh, about eleven years. Uh, I've been performing improv, you know, pre pre COVID, at least uh, once once a week for uh, seventeen years or so. I've been doing it about twenty, and uh, it's unlocked a lot of pathways for me. Uh, I get to uh, teach at uh, Second City, which is one of the most renowned uh, comedy theaters uh, in Chicago and across the U.S. I'm obligated. I signed a release uh, with Second City to say that Tina Fey and Steve Carell were there, uh, which is uh, we're required to mention that uh, anytime you mention those words. And I think they just got a dollar sent to them. From there, I've also been performing at theaters around the city. And for the last six years, I've been a uh, contributor to The Onion, uh, which is a uh, satirical, used to be a paper, and now it's an online publication uh, that uh, kind of makes fun of everything. And uh, as a result, uh, just being able to be kind of open to those experiences and just to be able to to kind of take those tenets of improvisation, which is to say yes, and then build on top of that called yes and. Allowing myself that space in life has been very freeing and uh, creatively and personally fruitful for me as well. Uh, now you asked about uh, other pursuits um, where improv has kind of taken me. Theaters and performers are generally speaking in pretty high demand for companies because since we speak off the top of the cuff, that's a skill that is in a higher demand. And, and, and people people always tell me and people always tell performers after shows, I could never do what you do. And yeah, you can. We're improvising right now. Amanda and I are improvising, just have, having a conversation. I didn't know what she was going to say. Uh, she doesn't know what I'm going to say, but I have a mic and she has uh, the pods. So I can kind of get the sense of what's going to happen. And then it's just kind of listening and reacting. So that goes in everything from like online role-playing with companies for customers or managerial interview situations, uh, uh, negotiations, not just workshops with companies, but even like corporate trials. Uh, companies hire people to either be a mock witness, for example, or um, for negotiation purposes to practice for onboarding junior clients and uh, consultants, things of that nature. And uh, I've worked as uh, an actor for about four years with a college, I'll say I'm uh, UIC uh, in Chicago, University of Illinois, Chicago, uh, doing role plays and getting cases for nurse practitioners. So uh, we get a case, we get a week or so to study it. Uh, we spend the day uh, in our, our sim labs. Uh, we have very, very nervous people enter the room uh, and then they, you know, they speak to the case and then we speak to their ability to speak more or less. And some of those nervous people are now listening to us, hopefully. <laughs> yes, I will, I will start to name them one by none. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, you and I um, go back a long time. We're friends from childhood times. And a few months ago, I sent you this company listing, I guess. I had seen something online where there was a nurse who created a company who did role-playing for different hospitals. And she would come in as a consultant and basically craft this role-play scenario for codes and emergency situations, which to me 
seemed very innovative. I had never really known that that existed. So I sent it to Sean. Have you seen this? This, you know, is such a cool idea. Thought you would be interested. And he's, you know, started to tell me about, oh, actually, I do all these other skills like corporate training and interviewing and all these things using my improv and acting skills. This is a pretty common thing for actors. It was like I called you and I said, Amanda, Amanda, I saw these two people with a microphone and they were talking to each other. Was it a phone call? No, 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 no. Are you with me? Okay. (laughs) Now they were having a broadcast. Like it was just like, oh, please, this is right in my wheelhouse. Keep going. Keep going. I didn't want to interrupt you. I was like, tell me, tell me more. Tell me where this goes. I want to know. I want to know. I want to go down the rabbit hole through the looking glass. Well, (laughs) I'm glad that I ultimately sent it to you because it opened up this conversation of the fact that you and I have worlds that are really overlapping in a sense, because as you mentioned, having conversation is essentially improvising, right? And and what better example of that than job interviews? Because you usually don't know what someone's going to ask you, and you usually don't know, you know, what response you're going to get to your questions. So it really was a very fortuitous <laughs> event that I sent you that yes, silly, big, very big common thing. It's a big performance of, of discussion. We know we're going to have a conversation, but it's almost a, a copy of a copy of what a conversation is. And that can be very jarring or nerve wracking for people to go like, okay, I speak. Let me practice speaking now. I am speaking to you. And after about five, six seconds, you're going, this, this sounds ridiculous. What's going on here? I'm going to be myself. Uh, and so it can be very, very tricky to do that. And so having that tension, having that nerve of like being your authentic self while also being the perception of your authentic self, it can be a, a frustrating and, and difficult experience and certainly not one that is born alone. Yeah, definitely. I I have met very few people who have said, oh, interviewing, that's just the easiest part. I love doing it. And people who say that are probably improv actors is what I'm learning. I don't even take the job. I just go, this was great. Good luck. Goodbye. I'm deep underwater in my Uber right now. It's not, it's not great. <laughs> so when thinking about, you know, what to talk about with you, I initially thought, or one would think that the thing to jump to would be to talk about how to prepare and practice for an interview. but Rather than talking about how to answer questions, I think, and what I've learned from you, is that we should actually start by learning first how to listen. So I want to ask you why that is important and what can you teach us about listening? Well, I mean, listening is the other part of the conversation. Otherwise, it's just a monologue. Uh, Otherwise, it would be a written statement. When we listen, we're building an understanding of the other person. Um, where we're building uh, a relationship with them. The most important thing that we can do uh, for others, whether it's a board or a panel or a uh, romantic partner or our friends, the most important thing that we can do for them is show them that we care, show them that we understand what they're saying. Uh, we we want to be authentic with people, but we want to be kind of admired by them as well. And we want to share that with them. It's a demonstrable skill to listen to them to show them that we are hearing what they are saying, uh, to show them that whatever their feelings are one way or the other, whether we even agree or not, we're validating them, that we are putting in the work to understand what they are trying to say and who they are. So that way our own responses and our own discussions can be thrown through that prism. 
Uh, you can't see this right now if you're listening, but I'm going to stick out my arm right now. I'm going to show Amanda this. This is my uh, this is my left arm. And I'm running my right hand from shoulder down to fingertips right now. So pretend that's a sentence from your shoulder. If you just kind of ran your hand like you were a weatherman across your arm to your fingertips. If that's a sentence, our brains kind of work like this. Starting at my shoulder, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. I want to talk. I want to talk. I can't wait for you to be done. I want to talk. I want to talk. I have so many things to say. Right around halfway, right around halfway to about two-thirds or so through someone else's sentence, we're processing, we're analyzing, we're saying, I have the thing that I need to say right now that speaks to that, possibly kind of, but I also want to talk. And taking that time and space to have that confidence and courage, I would even say, to have the courage to be patient to have the courage to care, it allows us to observe and it allows us to, to show that we are observing, to show that we are invested and interested in that other person. And also we're going to catch a lot of stuff too. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that we, as nurses, the nursing community, this is a skill that we are taught or that we are supposed to be taught or that we're supposed to know called therapeutic listening. It's part of the patient-provider encounter, and there can be healing in the act of listening and acknowledging and validating. And I feel like a lot of us are probably really good at this when it comes to interacting with patients, but for some reason, when we're out in the wild, out in the real world, it becomes more difficult. When you're in the room, I would imagine, I, I can't speak to your experiences, but it's an important way to validate and build trust. If you're not certain of that, you know, head into a room and ask the patient to verify their name and birthday and give them different answers and see if the, and they will let you know real quickly how trusting they are of you. <laughs> but when we, when we kind of flip the power dynamic and, and flip the table, so to speak, uh, we lose that because a lot of the things that are in our head that make us so great and wonderful and are the reasons that we're asked to join that table in the first place start to kind of jumble and bounce in our brains and we need to we need to get out our vitals we need to get our bio out as quickly as possible to kind of sometimes prove that we belong and you know i think if you're wanting to prove that you belong you've probably already done it otherwise you wouldn't be at that table in that first place so rather than having that sense of like how do we recite the statistics of who we are as people taking that breath for yourself and showing investment and interest in that other side can be just as beneficial and yield perhaps even more fruit because you know who you are, but you might not know these other folks. You might not know their stories as well. And since a lot of what we do interviewing or having conversations or even meeting people is some version of storytelling, we want to be invested in those stories. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. So when I usually prepare podcast interviews, I usually have a list of questions um, that I follow as an outline, but I that want checks. to- That checks. <laughs> <laughs> you know me well. But what I want to do is I want to practice on the actual recording. I want to practice being a better listener because I really think that this is a cross-training activity for interviewing and professional communication. You know, there's a way to become a better interviewer without actually mock interviewing, right? This is a cross-training type activity. Would you agree that that's a good way to describe it? Ooh, way to restate yourself. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the skills are, are very transferable as well. But, you know, and what, what I do is I, I use this to entertain. 
But if you aren't on the same page with what we call our scene partner, the people that we're on stage with or people that we're on Zoom with right now, if we're not on the same page and we're not uh, agreeing with each other, uh, we're not listening to each other, the trust breaks down. And not just the trust between me and the scene partner, uh, but also the trust between us and the audience that they're in safe hands, that we're in uh, a safe harbor as well. So absolutely. Uh, with that in mind, uh, let's do a little improv. Why not? Uh, okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, you, you seem excited and nervous, and that's the open state that we're looking for as performer. This is going to be very, very basic. Um, we're going to do an improvised scene just for 30 seconds or so, back and forth. But I'm going to add this little kind of acting exercise that we do with some of our students. Before you, Amanda, or I, Sean, can respond to the other person in this scene, we must repeat back word for word what that person just said to us. So you can repeat that back in a neutral tone if you'd like, and then continue on with the idea of that scene. So you don't have to be funny. And for anybody that uh, is interested in improvisation, you don't have to be funny. That's not the goal. It's just to be open and listen. Everything flows from there. But you do have to listen, of course, to this. So Amanda, I will give the first line to you. And let's say that we are in a safe, large, expanded waiting room. Say we're in a waiting room, any waiting room. Amanda, go ahead whenever you're ready. So how long have you been waiting? So how long have you been waiting? Well, I get here like 1030 and I'm two Highlights magazines in. Well, I got here at like 1030 and I'm two Highlights magazines in. Oh, yeah. So I got here around 11, but my appointment time was at 1045. Oh, yeah. So I got here around like 11, but my appointment time was like 1045. Louisa did that to you? You should walk right in and knock on that door. You're a senator. You don't need to wait like me. Louisa did that to you? You should go ahead and knock on that door. Uh, <laughs> I lost the last part. <laughs> well, I know that I was late, but it still feels like I've been waiting a long time. Well, I know that I was late, but it still feels like I've been waiting a long time. The world waits for you. You don't wait for the world. Go kick down that door. You tell Louisa what's what. We'll call scene right there. I want to I want to be safe to Louisa. Very nice job. Very, very nice job. Uh, so let me ask you, what made that so tricky? Well, I was focused on what you had said, and then I felt pressured and scrambling to come up with what I wanted to say. Sure. Uh, and that's a common thing to feel that sense of pressure. And I bet if we were sitting together in a waiting room and you took me at my word that I was somebody that you could comfortably speak with, that we wouldn't feel that pressure, that we would uh, just be able to continue that conversation. But by putting on that little task of, of kind of forcing you to listen intently to everything that I'm saying before we can even respond to it, makes it a little bit tricky to, to kind of get our brain out because normally our brains would be within two or three words. Like when that person stops talking, I'm going to tell them where the best chilies is. Like you're going to get right to whatever that answer is, but taking the second and having that patience is going to over time create for us in, in, in my field, a more rich scene, a more rich scene with specifics, 
with emotion, with stakes, and with a relationship between two people. Because I know that you're listening to me, and I'm listening to you, and every single bit, uh, Louisa um, highlights magazine. 1045, the fact that I made you a senator. Uh, every single detail that we put in there is going to create this tapestry or it's going to create this booyah base that we're working on here. Uh, and uh, we're going to have uh, success and depth because of that, because we put in the time to lay that groundwork and to care about that groundwork. One of the times that you were a little tripped up on one of my sentences, that sentence was between 16 and 20 words. When we have long sentences without pauses, it's tough for people listening to us to grasp everything that we are saying. But sometimes we feel that we need to do that so we don't get edited. Our goal is to get all in our information before we're edited, as opposed to giving ourselves that, that pace and that space and that patience to let it come when it needs to be. I think, too, that, you know, I was feeling that I wanted to fill the silence. You know, I'm not comfortable with there being silence. And I have to wonder, is that me being trained by the fact that when there's silence, usually there's, you know, a scene partner or another person we're talking to who's eager to fill it, thus training me to always need to fill the silence so that I can get in what I need to say. I was going to pause for like 10 seconds here, but I, it's almost too cliche of a bit. <laughs> when we are silent, and your mileage may vary, but when we are silent in conversation, specifically with um, like level one to two strangers, uh, not a total stranger, but someone that we're um, maybe somebody that uh, you'd, you'd bring your chin up to say hi to rather than down for a stranger. When we're silent, we start to analyze our own words we start to judge them more. And it's very, very often that people's beliefs tend towards what could go wrong as opposed to what might go right. That's a toughie. Flipping your brain on that is a really, really tough skill. And when you're in an imbalanced power dynamic, like an interview, especially if you're more of a, a novice or newcomer, or you just feel that little creeping sense of imposter syndrome, any silence is probably going to be perceived as judgment, whether it was there or not. Uh, it's kind of that sort of fundamental attribution error. The idea that what we perceive of ourselves is how is different from what we perceive of people. Of like, oh, you were late. You must not care about work versus I was late. Yeah, traffic was rough. How we perceive one, our own experience versus somebody else's is oftentimes totally different. And if we don't if we don't have the ability to kind of speak to that and to verify that, it can be very, very tense. That's also the entire premise of the show Modern Family, which is two people didn't have a conversation that go, wait, 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 can you explain to me clearly what you just meant by that? We don't pause to ask that question in our lives sometimes. And if we let the silence linger, we start to fill it with judgment and we start to fill it with doubt. I tell my students and performers this, as soon as you walk off the stage after you do a scene or a show, you have the rest of your life to doubt your choices and best of luck to you with that. But when you're in that moment, it's not going to be useful because it's not going to be changeable. So treating yourself like an old friend and standing behind what you said 
is a way to move yourself forward and give yourself a little bit more of that confidence just to say, here's what I said, and I'm going to stand behind that. And this isn't the time necessarily to doubt or judge because I have confidence in me. I've talked to people before and I'm doing it right now. And this is who I am. This is my authentic and comfortable self, which is, I guess, what you would want in a match with any organization is you don't want to be their version of who they believe you to be. You want that level of acceptance for who you are, because that's going to make you comfortable and that's going to improve uh, patient outcomes and your overall level of happiness as well. For sure. I definitely agree. And I, I like to often say that it's really a mutual decision. It's a partnership the same way you would Hopefully, if you were dating someone, it would be a mutual agreement, not a one-sided agreement. I think, though, that there are some instances, particularly in interviews, where you may not have the right answer right away. Not necessarily the right answer, but an answer right away. So is there any way that we can practice not inserting a bunch of filler words or going off on a tangent, but taking the time to formulate our answers before we say them? I think something that's helpful and just moving away from an exercise real quick, I'll jump back, is to just kind of restate the question first and foremost, simply because if you were to repeat a sentence, you can stress any word in that sentence and kind of change that sentence's meaning. So to to buy yourself a, a little bit more time, I think it's helpful to ask them specifically perhaps why they're asking the question and um, to like what experiences they have may have found in the course of that. Um, a way to do that, I think sometimes that is easier than just saying like kind of doing that um, classical stereotypical Miss America of repeating the question is uh, I think world peace is great because, you know, rather than, than <laughs> that is um, something called a set technique. Uh, S-E-T, set, S-E-T. It stands for um, short answer, evidence, and transition. Now, for some of these, uh, in the the scenario that you've asked, we might not have a full idea of the picture of how we're going to to answer that. And that might be in the case of a, um, like a tell me about a time when kind of question. Generally speaking, I would imagine that uh, a lot of your listeners are kind of prepared for those, but those offshoot questions that might come from that uh, can be a, a little bit tricky, or they can be speaking to an experience that we might not have had yet. So A, if we haven't had an experience, that's okay. It's okay to be honest about that and find a comparable skill or comparable anecdote. Uh, but B, getting to that set technique, um, the short answer is just a, a quick burst to let the person know that you're answering their question. The evidence, one or two sentences, just backing up what that is. And then the T, the transition, is to toss that back to open up conversation with uh, your partner. So, uh, for example, uh, Amanda, go ahead and ask me uh, any any type of uh, casual getting to know you type of question or an interview question, as long as it is not related specifically to nursing. Because <laughs> I don't want to insult the intelligence of your listener, but I will give this a go. Uh, well, it's kind of dinner time where... I am and maybe where you are. So what is the best meal that you've had in the past month? I love empanadas. Uh, there's an empanada place down the block. Um, one of the great things about it is you can stuff it with savory or you can stuff it with sweet, like a goat cheese and beans if there's a little bit of a sweetness to it. But you can also have a barbacoa. Uh, they, they're they generally 
you know, since they're kind of hand pie sized, you can have a general sense of where you're hungry and what's going to fill you. And it's just nice to kind of play with some of the different culture that Chicago has to offer. What is your go-to place when you have like 30 minutes time and like 25 bucks to yourself? Any place that has sushi rolls. There it is. There it is. Exactly. So given the answer, which is true, shout out to Cafe Tola, uh, giving the evidence of like, here's what I like. Here's why I like it. Here's what's cool. And then the transition isn't just like, what do you think? But it's based off the things that I've said. How can I throw this to you in a slightly different angle? That is a way to catch you that you're listening and also allow that person to connect it with something that's personal for them. So it's not just like, what's your favorite movie, but what's the type of movie that you love that needs to be on a big screen? Something like that, just to just to throw that back. So for a question where you might not have a clear answer, you can give that kind of partial answer for here's what I do believe, and you can speak to that. And then in that transition, tie that back to the larger issue or larger discussion topic that is being discussed or tie that back to the story that you'd like to tell that's part of your own resume or CV or your own experiences or well. So like um, uh, something about this patient, here's what we did, here's what I learned and here's how I'm growing for it. How does that tie into the mission of uh, such and such a, a concern, which as far as I know is based in this. And that transition, does it necessarily have to be a question or can it be a conclusionary type statement as well, I'm guessing? Absolutely. I could have just as easily said, like, I just love that there are so many different restaurants that are right near me. And it really excites me to try different places at different times. Just having that ability to end, not just without saying, um, yeah, or so, not just coming to the smooth ending of that sentence, but even being able to end that sentence upward, as opposed to ending that sentence downward. Uh, just having that sentence of like, um, like you're tossing a ball back and forth. And verbally, we can always show uh, with our inflection and with our eye contact, that we're ready. We're ready. I'm toss that back to you. Uh, we're ready and keep on going. And that I'm enjoying having this process with you. Awesome. Hey there, friend. If you are a brand new nurse practitioner or an NP student nearing graduation, I have the perfect resource for you that will help you get all your ducks in a row as you get started with your job search. It's called the Nurse Practitioner Graduation Survival Guide, and you can get it totally free at my website at theresumerx.com slash NPgrad. This guide will help break down the glossary of all the terms and acronyms that you will need to be applying for. Think NPI and DEA, as well as giving you the typical timeline of everything that needs to happen before you can start working as an NP. I can't wait for you to snag this guide so you can stop worrying about everything you need to do before you can be legit. Go ahead to the resumerx.com slash NPgrad and get it for free. Can't wait to hear what you think. So we're recording during I guess it's still a pandemic, right? Um, and there are <laughs> and interviews and job searching looks a little bit different right now. So I want to talk about maybe some tips or recommendations for someone who is preparing for an interview, but maybe living in a world with limited social contact right now. So maybe doesn't have a lot of opportunity to practice these cross-training activities. What would you say is a great way for them to practice right now? I mean, well, you're talking to a person that does solo exercises regardless, you know, walking down the street and just kind of 
rhyming the things that I see or, you know, uh, uh, singing along to a song in the shower, but singing it up in a made up language and stuff. So uh, I wouldn't recommend those off the bat, but it can be very difficult uh, to give yourself sort of a confidence boosting exercise in the presence of isolation. Not just because that's not something that we do, these aren't muscles that we work, but also it's a tough time. It's a lot. And so having that space and grace for yourself can be tough to muster, um, you know, especially if you're a person that's kind of been hanging out in your phone uh, several hours a day. It's tough to kind of rise through and above that. So something that I recommend uh, is to literally, you know, record yourself, practice the three or four statements that you know you're going to say kind of your Spider-Man origin story. Um, the I'm going to guess the reason why you want to work here is probably a question regardless of discipline that uh, a lot of uh, employers and uh, uh, contractors ask. Um, the Tell me about a time when you're, the stories that tie to your personal story, your values, why you are there, why you want to be there, and that value that you will add for yourself and for them. And then the fourth one I would say to kind of record yourself on would be the two or three questions, the questions that you've thought about, the questions that you're going to ask, the things that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable live because you might feel that you're imposing on that other group. You're not. So, but I would practice those, record those. I uh, wouldn't, you know, slate to camera like you're doing a Crest commercial. I just, you know, set up a phone or, or Zoom and, and, and play and record. Um, just kind of give it two or three times and then watch the recording and, and, and just kind of jot down what you liked. I want to be clear about that. Jot down what you liked. Jot down what you enjoyed. Building from there is going to be so much easier for you than looking at the things that you don't like or the things that you're uncomfortable about. Think about having that conversation with a friend or partner, which is like, where do you want to go to dinner? I don't know. You pick. Okay, let's go get steak. I don't want that. Well, what do you want? <laughs> so having that sense of just these two or three things are my building blocks and I can push forward from there. Jotting down your notes of not just what I liked, but like, why do you think you liked this? Maybe you were smiling at that point. Maybe you were thinking behind your eyes, but in the back of your brain to that experience. And maybe that's giving you that energy and that confidence that ties you back to sort of your mission. So having that time and space for yourself, I think is really important. It's your place. It's your space. So if you're practicing and you're going to be online, let that shine for you. It's very important, obviously, in, in, in almost any uh, industry to dress for the job you want. But no one knows if your clothes are yours and they're new. So dress for the job that you want, but also be the person you are. It's really important to be comfortable in your own skin. If you are comfortable in your own skin, Everything else is going to build from that. And that can be something that's a, not necessarily an on-off, but it's more of a dimmer switch to kind of build to that area. So what makes you comfortable and confident? Behind me right now are portraits of Han Solo and General Leia Organa. Um, and they're very vitally important uh, to, the, uh, <laughs> to the rebellion. But they're also something that I like. It's a pretty business setting, but I have those portraits behind. They make me comfortable. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend that, but your comfort is always going to shine through. If you were muted on the whole call, what would the call have looked like? Your comfort is vitally important. Uh, the last thing I'd say is set up a good night's sleep. I can't guarantee you a good night's sleep. And you can't guarantee that for yourself because this is a big thing. It's your life. It matters. It's important. And you matter.
But setting up those conditions where you can give yourself a well-earned right, uh, night of rest is super important. When the morning comes or the afternoon comes of that day, you're going to be who you are. You are enough. You wouldn't be in the room if you weren't enough. You know who you are. They're not going to say like, hey, nice to meet you. And you're going to, oh, I'm, I'm Clarence. Bye. Like you're, you're not going to, nothing new is going to happen. You know exactly who you are. And you are more than capable of having a human conversation and being an interesting person. So give yourself the opportunity to take that breath and relax into that evening. So that way you can wake up refreshed, prepared, and ready to go. You are your own advocate. And the quicker you jump into your corner, the easier it's going to be for you when that bell rings. I think I'm going to extract the past few minutes and turn it into like an affirmation thing to listen to the night before your interview. No, that was, that was really, I can get some rain. I love, I love that. Outside the window as well. Yeah. I, I think it's really important that um, it, my parallel to this is auditioning, uh, auditioning for uh, shows, for uh, commercials, for sh- uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, that's my parallel, which is like, I got a couple auditions a week sometimes. And those are my interviews. Those are quick. And Obviously, if I don't know the thing, if I don't know the show or I don't know the the product or whatever that is, it's going to come through pretty quick. So in addition to the stuff that you're already doing, like, you know, making sure that you're researching, making sure you know or have a general idea of which people you'll be talking to. Maybe there's going to be five people and you weren't prepared for that. But you should probably know the two or three that you think are going to be there and going from there. In addition to that, it's really just important that you be kind to everybody. And when I say be kind to everybody... Sorry to say this, that includes yourself. You have to be nice to yourself. You have to step out of your skin and treat yourself like a friend. And unless you would be a person who sits next to someone on an interview and be like, you did a bad job, unless you would be that rude to your friend, don't be that rude to yourself. What could go right? What could go right? Take 15 minutes for yourself when it's done to feel all the feelings you need to feel. Take those 15 minutes allow yourself that time, and then just move forward. Just move forward from there. There's always going to be something that we wish we did different in any capacity. It's generally not super helpful to hold on to that beyond those 15 minutes. You probably have learned that lesson, and then you can move forward from there. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned something about preparing or thinking about questions that you are going to ask during the interview. So I'd like to zoom in on that Mm -hmm. in particular, because that's something that I, you know, I have a list of questions that I say, you know, you should really be, nurses should be prepared to ask these questions or be asked these questions. But something that I want to point out that I think that is important to talk about is the fact that the questions you ask and the quality of the questions that you ask can be just as important as how you answer questions. And while there are no dumb questions, there are certainly some questions that are better than others in quality. So I want to talk about that. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let's let's unpack that. I agree with you. And I'm going to do a thing that I personally find very irritating, which is lead off with a question for you. (laughs) In your experience, can you think of a time where someone that was a boss or a mentor for you, you realize that like, oh, they're just a person. They're doing the best they can. Yes, definitely. 
Do you, do you care to share? Uh, I'm sure since you run this, you can redact or bleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so I think it was, so I'm thinking about a situation where I had a manager who managed a bunch of nurse practitioners who was normally very calm under pressure, but in a very high stress patient scenario, lost their cool a little bit. And that was when I realized, all right, that person puts their pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. Yeah. It's a good reminder that the people that you're talking to probably spilled some milk on their shirt earlier in the day. (laughs) Um, And I, I think getting back to your question about the sort of value of questions, I think something that helps me differentiate uh, a good from a great question, uh, although, you know, all questions are valid. Um, I think a good question shows that you're listening. And I think a great question shows that you want to listen. Does that make sense? Hmm. A good question is like, uh, you know, uh, now, Amanda, you have a, a spouse and, uh, and three children and you're looking to, I'm, I'm reciting right now the things that I know about you. So Amanda goes like, oh, okay, this, this, this person was reading up on my bio on the podcast. This is the right person. Yeah. I'm showing those things. And there are absolutely a lot of questions that you might ask where you're showing that knowledge. You're kind of showing off that knowledge. You're reminding everybody that you you drove to the right place. Google Maps had it. It's in there. And that uh, you understand which buildings are which and you have the sense of that. And I think a question that adds more value on top of that is that question that says, now, based off of this stuff that I know about you, here's where I want more than just your fact by fact line. I want your kind of opinion. And I want to get the sense of who you are as a person or what my fit is for you. You can pull this off. This is a toe in the water idea, but it's not always a bad idea to even ask like, so why do you have me here right now? Why are you interviewing me? Because it might be very enlightening to see what that might be, which is maybe it's, you know, well, we got a recommendation from such and such a person, or we're looking for somebody that has that comparable set of skills, or you called the hiring manager four times. We had to. Whatever that answer might be, you know, asking that question and getting that insight is a great kind of live reading of not just how you're doing necessarily, not the scoreboard, but just like the sense of what that person's perception is of you and what your perception is of them. And that's, again, going back to building relationship and building that trust. You want to ask the, the staff, not just because you want to be interested in them to know if it's a fit because it's probably more important that you fit with them than they find you. There's, there's a difference between wanting to gain someone's um, like adoration or respect, which is a very important thing, and wanting to gain their platform. Those are two very, very different things. And you can have both. But knowing the thing that you're looking for in that instance matters. It might be that I really want to impress this director, or it might be that I want to do this show. And knowing how that kind of guides you is absolutely going to guide the way that you behave in the course of a conversation with somebody. So asking the questions to say to kind of in that sort of first date type scenario of learning who this person is, you know, whether that's the person that you'll be reporting to and learning who that is or learning a little bit more about them is is super important. And selfishly, I'd say a great question steers the conversation back to the things that you might not have gotten to cover, but you really want them to cover. Mm. Um, I I always think of that when I'm talking about 
suggestions in improvisation, which is, you know, a word or a phrase, something an audience will give to us to inspire that scene or that performance or that improvised game. I ask my students, if you were in the audience, what suggestion would you love to hear that would make you so excited? Like, for example, for me, it's the suggestion of Tecmo Super Bowl, a 1991 Nintendo video game. But for you, it might be Lilacs or Sicily, or it might be, it's just like, what's the thing that invests you? How do you ask a question that allows you to get into the conversation where you can show your passion? Passion matters. And especially if you're V nervous or V tense about those discussions, having a chance to ask a question to learn a little bit more about someone else's perception of the thing that you care about is really going to be a solid green flag or red flag for you in the course of that. Uh, does that make sense? Where do you feel that questioning is personal in a, in a professional capacity? Yeah, I think that it's, you know, we kind of talk about that there are certain questions that are off limits or inappropriate to be asked in an interview. But sometimes I think it's kind of fun to ask some of the more personal questions of the people who are interviewing you. There's really not any kind of off limits questions that you're legally not allowed to ask your interviewers. So I think that, you know, to your point of asking a question that can shine a light on something that you want to know more about or about something that you're passionate about, you know, you could kind of ask some questions and give the interviewer the opportunity to brag about what's important to them in a way to kind of shine a light on the company culture, maybe to see them in their element, to see what type of opportunities they have to pursue what they love and what they're passionate about. And also to, you know, maybe you want to know, like, do people here leave on time? (laughs) Are we working hours after, you know, after closing time without any pay? So you're (laughs) not going to ask that question specifically, but if you have a peer shadow, you may, you know, ask about what somebody likes to do after work or, you know, are they able to get home to see their kid's soccer practice or, or that type of thing? And that can not only, I think, neutralize the conversation a bit, it can allow you as the interviewer to offer up any information that may be on the more personal side that they technically can't ask you, but adds to your kind of depth as a candidate as well. So I think that going beyond those factoid finding questions can be really helpful to figure out if you're a good fit, but to also show that you are someone who asks insightful questions and is, you know, has that depth of interest in their, in their organization. Yeah. You're someone that, you're someone that cares. You're someone that has already done a little bit of the the mental work and visualization to put yourself in, not necessarily their shoes, but in the shoes of someone walking around in that building. Um, and you know, maybe they want the chance to kind of brag as well, but they're also looking for that pace and space. And, and you don't want to be in a situation where somebody says on, you know, day two, oh, yeah, that doctor sees 41 patients a day. We didn't we didn't tell you that. Oh, absolutely. Mentoring program. No, 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 no. But we do once a year. We go to TGI Fridays. No, you you want to you want to have a sense of those things. And those might not be priorities for that. We'll say hiring manager. Those might not be priorities for them to have that discussion because it's not going to affect them the way that it's going to affect you. But the things that are important to them, giving them that space might open up those avenues to, again, tie that back into your story. 
And that's a great idea if you perhaps don't have a space for to ask the question that you're going to ask, whether those factoids of, you know, the patients that they see or getting to things like, you know, negotiations and benefits and, and reimbursements and things of that nature. Getting a sense for what their priorities are in this interview is just as important for the things that you say. Because you know everything that you're going to say, or you have a general idea of where you're coming from, it's really important to get a sense of where they're coming from as well, because it's an entirely different set of life experiences. And, you know, if quality alone, uh, if the, the quality of care or the, uh, the ability to do the job alone was the, uh, the sole deciding factor in these discussions, well, we would just put our stats into a, uh, a, you know, a sheet of paper and then run it into an old time computer that was the size of a room. And then you'd get a paperback that said yes or no. People matter. So learning more about that and taking that time to, to see them and to have that conversation and even to ask them to get onto your level and converse person to person on those issues is really, really helpful because ultimately the doors of that building are going to stay open whether or not that you're there. So you need to know whether you want to be a part of it before you even step in. So being courageous to ask those questions, I can tell you as someone who also has hired me before, is more often than not rewarded. People want to know that you care. People want to know that this is the right fit. They're just as nervous as you are. They're just sitting on a different side of the table. Definitely. So I want to ask a question kind of as we wrap up. I want to point out that, you know, we said this earlier, but in an interview scenario, you know, the goal isn't, of course, the goal is to find the best job for you, the best position, but the goal isn't necessarily to get a yes from everybody. And I think that it's important to differentiate that and to kind of accentuate the fact that sometimes when we put ourselves out there on interviews, the goal is actually to get rejected in order to bring us closer to the right position. So I'm wondering if there's any parallel here between your experience as an actor and if you can speak a bit on rejection and how you maybe deal with rejection or welcome it as a movement towards better opportunity. Amanda, I would love to, but that has never happened to me. And if you're hearing this and you've been rejected, you've really disappointed me. And that makes me personally upset, even though we haven't met. No, of course. Uh, <laughs> I write 75 jokes a week. I submit 40 to 50 of them. I get a thumbs up on, on a good week for. Wow. You know, that's part of the onboarding process mentally for me, uh, for, for my um, contributing with Onion is uh, for a long time, I used to think this acceptance or this rejection is not a professional choice about what works best one way or the other. It's a personal referendum of whether I'm a person that deserves dignity and love. Turns out that's not the case. Rejection is a part of life. Rejection has lessons inside of it. And rejections are very, very rarely personal. I was on this television show um, that you may have seen. I don't want to give the name, but this guy gives a lot of answers and you have to provide the questions and you win money. And something I learned when I was on that show is if there was somebody um, in like the contestant pool whose name was Sean, 
I wouldn't be on the same show as them, or I couldn't be on a show with them in those couple of days that they were taping that episode. If somebody had my job, or if somebody was from Chicago or Warwick, the town I grew up in Rhode Island, if somebody was in one of those areas, they don't put the contestants the same. If you watch, if you watch that show, you'll see those three contestants, and you know they're they have different backgrounds. One's a you know a librarian from El Paso. The other one is a, the sports energy consultant from uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. The other one is like a model activist and lollipop sales associate from uh, Punxsutawney. Like they're they're different areas. They didn't not put me on this particular episode because I was a good or bad person. A lot of the times, the things that are kind of the deciding factor probably have very little to do with who you are as that person. It might be that somebody else ran the race a little bit better. It might be that somebody else was in the shoes that fit that they had to offer. They only had size seven shoes and you're a six and a half. And they were looking specifically for somebody in that seven. It might have been that uh, they get cold feet at the last second, or they, in the course of those interviews, reimagined what that position might be, and they fit it to that particular candidate. It might be something that is totally beyond your control. That's why when, when I kind of give this advice, I always ask people to take that 15 minutes after that interview, take your time, dwell on it, be kind to yourself, beat yourself up, do whatever you need to do for those 15 minutes, but then take one lesson and then move forward from that. Take that one thing for yourself and move forward from that and think, if I did this again, how good is that next one going to be? Sometimes, and this is not a visual medium, the podcast, I'm, my hands right now are about a foot apart. Uh, my hand is, one hand is uh, up towards my head and one hand is at my chest. This represents the skill levels of some of my students. The best they could do is like way up here. The worst they could do is way down here. It's a gigantic gap right now. Over time, my top hand is only increasing a little bit. They're getting a little bit better. They're getting a little bit better. My bottom hand is going way up, which is to say consistency is what you're striving for. As you interview, as you send uh, your resumes, your cover letters, you just want to get a little bit better each and every day. It's not always about being perfect. It's about finding that situation that will be perfect for you. And giving yourself more consistency, giving yourself those tips, using an interview, whether it's perfect for you or not perfect, as a process to the next one, the more darts you throw, the closer you're going to get to that bullseye. And giving yourself that space to go, I didn't hit the bullseye today, but I did know that I, I learned how to turn my wrist when I'm throwing that dart. Cool, I'm going to use that the next time. I feel like I hit that bullseye. I came close. But either way, I now know I have this dart. This dart's a perfect dart. And then eventually, boom, 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 bullseye after bullseye after bullseye. It's not a personal thing in any instance other than a personal opportunity for you to grow and be the most comfortable and authentic version of yourself. You are a commodity in, a, in the best way possible. You are someone with value. And giving yourself that opportunity to demonstrate that value, no matter how many times it takes, is only going to shine on you in a more positive light. And it's going to give you a more brilliant reflection each and every time. I'm trying to think of all the different ways that actors say that the scene is over. So I've got that's a wrap and cut the visual like that you just did and scene. 
Just that was great, marching Sean. band. Sometimes there's a uh, sometimes there's a blackout uh, where the lights just go out. Uh, oh yeah. We can do we can do a simple uh, and scene. Let's try that right now. Ready? Okay. And, and scene. scene. Thanks for your time, Sean. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, Amanda. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.